you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be sharing verses 1 through 7 as we look at God's Word together this morning. I will read verses 1 and 2, and then I invite you to join with me. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Please join me. Jesus told me them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over ninety-nine righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. There's ever a passage that proves Jesus' concern for people outside the church and his desire for us to share his concern for people outside the church. This is it. We're going to look at this parable in just a moment, but before we do that, just take a minute and, and make sure we're clear on some definitions. In verses 1 and 2, if you have your Bible still open, the Bible talks about two groups of people that are observing this encounter. Depending upon your translation, uh, the Bible refers to, first of all, uh, persons who are called publicans or tax collectors. Publicans or tax collectors. Now, these were Jewish people, part of the Jewish community, like them, who basically had sold their soul to, to Rome, and they had become agents of Rome to gather the taxes, the oppressive taxes, on their own other, their fellow Jewish people. Publicans, tax collectors, they were despised by the rest of the religious, the Jewish community. So that's the first group. The second group that's identified here is a group that referred to as sinners. Now, it's interesting that uh, we need to take a minute to understand what's being said here. When the Bible, when, when those folks refer to the sinners, it was to identify a group of people who... Uh, chose to live their life outside of the laws of the temple, who did not participate in the worship of the synagogues, who didn't embrace the life of the Jewish community and faith. Basically, we would use that, the term secular people today to define the same group. So when the Pharisees say Jesus was hanging out with those sinners, it's not to suggest that they thought they weren't, sin, that they weren't sinners too. It was just a classification of people who live outside the law of the temple, okay? So we refer to them today as secular people. Now, this passage tells us that these tax collectors, these secular people, are gathering around listening to Jesus. Now, you would think that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, would, would be pleased about that. I mean, a group of irreligious secular people 
coming on their own to hear a teacher of the law, you'd think that they would welcome that. But no, no, no. They weren't thrilled with that at all. And they look at Jesus, and then they look at one another and say, can you believe that? He calls himself a holy man, and yet look what he's doing. He hangs out, he welcomes, and he eats with sinners. Jesus saw that as a perfect opportunity to give them some insight into how God felt about those folks and how God wanted them to feel about those folks. And he uses an image they could understand. Jesus looks at those Pharisees, the religious folks, and he says, how many of you, if you have 99 sheep and one of them goes astray, how many of you would not leave the 99 and go and find the one? And they're probably saying, yeah, we all would. We know, you know we wouldn't be content that one of ours was away. We would do everything we could to find that lost sheep. And Jesus said, of course. Now, once you found that sheep that had wandered off, what would you do? You would hoist them on your shoulder. You would carry it back into the fold, place them in the fold with the others, and you would celebrate that you'd found your lost sheep. And then Jesus said something like this. Look. He says to the Pharisees, you are the 99. You're in the fold. God loves you. But that one sheep that that wandered off and is not with the fold anymore, that's these folk. That's these these tax collectors. That's these secular, these sinner people that you're talking about. Just like you would leave the 99 and go in search of the one, God goes in search of those who have wandered. He wants them in the fold. They matter to Him. And just like you would celebrate when you found your lost sheep, God celebrates. In fact, all of heaven rejoices when one of those who's lost is found. He said, listen, God is thrilled that you are in the fold. But when sinners and tax collectors and secular folk come in, there is great rejoicing in heaven. Great rejoicing. I want to share something with you that might sound a little odd at first, but bear with me. God is more concerned about people out there than he is concerned about you and me. Now, hold on. I I didn't say God loves them more. I said God is more concerned about them. Think about it this way. Suppose you have three grown children. Two of them are happy, they're successful, they're raising their family, they're in the church, life is good. They call, you know where they are. And then imagine that third grown child. In contrast to the other two, that third child, you don't have a clue where they are. They flit from 
job to job and move from town to town because they've never been able to be successful in anything they've sought out to do. And uh, they, they never call. You don't have any idea where they are. They never call. They are not in church. Now, let me ask you, of those three grown children, which of those three, as their parent, do you love the most? You love all three equally. Of course. But of those three, which are you most concerned about? You're most concerned about the one who's lost, who's confused. And that's why it makes sense, therefore, for us to say, God is more concerned about people out there who don't know him than he is concerned about us who've already come to know his love and are living in fellowship with him every day. God loves us equally, but he's more concerned about the one that's away. And that's why Jesus says, and this is so important, that's why Jesus says, listen, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who comes home than the 99 who are already home. And so the question for the church today Our church, every church, is heaven rejoicing? Is heaven rejoicing? Is heaven rejoicing because people who don't know God are coming to know and experience God's love because of the ministry of our church? Is heaven rejoicing because people who don't know Christ are coming to faith in Christ or being baptized into the church as a result of our actions and our efforts? You know, we as a church, and a lot of churches in this town, we do, we do a lot of good things. We take food to bridging the gap across the street. But are, heaven, but are, are, are all the heavens rejoicing because people over there are coming to faith in God? We give money to support great causes in this community. But is heaven rejoicing because that giving is resulting in people filling our sanctuary to hear the word of God? We have a beautiful sanctuary with gorgeous stained glass windows. But is heaven rejoicing Because dozens and dozens of people in this community with stained lives are coming here and finding God here week after week after week. It's interesting as we look at this story that the reason Jesus was successful in bringing people into the kingdom is in fact the very thing that he was most criticized for. They didn't criticize him because he was talking to the the group. They probably wouldn't have criticized him if he had been handing out charitable gifts to the folks. You know why he criticized them? You know why they were irritated? It's found in that second verse. He welcomes them 
and eats with them. He welcomes them, and he eats with them. I want you to think for just a minute and let this sink in. Could it be that in that simple sentence is the secret for us being more effective at winning secular lost people to faith in Christ? Think about it. We take food to the people at Bridging the Gap. But how often do we go there ourselves to have dinner with them? What if we were to actually go a step of inviting them to dinner and taking them to dinner at a local restaurant here in town or even to our own home? Think about it. What might happen? What might God begin to do through those encounters? Do in them and in us? Could God use those exchanges, those encounters to change lives? We give money to support homes and shelters for young women, young girls and who are abused and who are expecting a child and have nowhere to go. But, but here's a question. How often have we invited them to our home? How often do we go there ourselves to, to get to know them personally and make sure they know who Jesus is? I know it's kind of far-fetched, but what would happen if we did that? Might God use those experiences to lead one of those young women to faith? What might God do if we did that? We give money to missionaries to travel to the other side of the world to tell people about the change that Jesus can make in their life. Are we willing to initiate a relationship with someone in our own town who needs the same information? What could God accomplish if we did? You know why Jesus was effective at winning and bringing the outsiders into the body of faith? It's really simple. He welcomed them and he ate with them. A couple of weeks ago, I visited a church, and as I walked in, I was uh, overwhelmed by uh, this visual as I walked into the lobby, huge lobby, and on one side of the lobby were hundreds of triangular-shaped pennants or flags, solid white, and on, printed on them in big, bold letters was the word LOST. And those hundreds of flags hanging from the ceilings represented the people in that community served by that church 
who have yet to come to know that God loves them, who have yet to come to know and accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And there were hundreds. And then on the other side of the lobby, there were another set of flags, and I noticed that they were the same flags that had been taken down and in, in place of the word lost, the, a person's name had been put over that and had been hung on the other side of the lobby. And I discovered that those, were, those flags represented the people, the lost folks in the community, who, because of the witness and the outreach and the compassion and the love of that congregation, had come to faith, had been baptized, had joined the church, and had become members of the community of faith. And there were hundreds of those. And as I'm, as I'm seeing that, that visual, it, it brought back to me this passage. And I said, you know, this is what it's all about. This is why heaven rejoices over one sinner who's lost than the 99 who are already at home and know God's love. And I thought to myself, what if we did that? What if we did that? How many flags would be able to move from one side of the lobby to the other? When heaven looks at us, is heaven rejoicing because people who live apart from God are finding God? It's heaven rejoicing because like Jesus, we welcome and eat with and share life with them and use those as opportunities to share the love of God. We have a beautiful building. And we're so proud of it, and we should be. We have a wonderful congregation loving people and families. We all love one another. We have some great ministries. But is heaven rejoicing? Are we giving heaven calls to rejoice? Because people don't know God are coming and finding them here because we have been willing to welcome them and eat with them and share life with them. Let us pray. Oh God, sometimes you make life lessons so simple and plain and place them right before us. That because we want everything to be complicated, we look right over and miss it all together. Lord, 
Jesus teaches us a valuable lesson here. To wait to win the hearts of people is to show concern for them. For them to matter to us in the same way that they matter to you. And that our response is that we see them, we recognize them, we welcome them, and we eat with them. A way of saying that we share life with them. There are people in this community, Father, who will never set foot in the doors of this church until and unless someone who's already here decides to care for them and to show them the love of God. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of the 99. Increase our vision and our capacity to care for the one that's lost. So that you and all of heaven will have cause to rejoice because of what is happening through the ministry of this church. We pray in the name of Jesus our example yet again of how it is to be done. In his name and in his spirit we pray Amen.